0: We can make a difference. Pull the lever, cronk. Wrong lever!
1: Why do we even have that lever? Get out of my way.
0: Please remain seated and keep your arms and legs in at all times world overflowing with movies, we need a hero, someone to separate the bad from the good.
1: I'm Emma and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 190, The Emperor's New Groove. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge hi, hello and welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a regular returning listener of this podcast, whether you are a brand new listener of this podcast, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for returning, if you are returning. But mostly thank you so much for choosing this podcast because I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of The Emperor's New Groove. And this is a movie that has been on my radar to cover for such a long time, and genuinely, I'm so excited to bring you the story of this movie. This episode is the fourth episode of Animation Season 2023. It follows The Nightmare Before Christmas, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, Inside Out and South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. And obviously, a huge thank you if you've listened to those episodes. Even if you've listened to one or two of those episodes, why am I doing an animation season? There's a couple of reasons why I love doing animation season. I do it every year, between January and February each year. And as I said, there's a couple of reasons that I like to do this. The first is that animation is often dismissed as a medium that is, quote, just for children, unquote. You'll often hear people say, oh, I don't want to watch that movie because it's a kid's movie. And The Emperor's New Groove is ostensibly for children because it's funny, it's bright, it's colourful. It's a family animated movie, but it is not just for children. Also, animation is often mislabeled as a genre, especially on streaming services, which really annoys me because animation is just the medium. Its contents can be of any genre. And one of the things I love about animation is there are fewer limits on what animation can actually achieve if you compare it to live action. And I always like to say, don't get me started on Disney's live action remakes because nine times out of 10, they are inferior to the products that came before because the product that came before is animated and there are no limits to what you can achieve in animation. Additionally, and this is something that I've kind of picked up being a podcaster for the last four or so years that not really movie podcasts actually cover animation, unless they are an animation-specific podcast. So I love to do animation season because I want to cover as many animated movies on this podcast as I can, as well as live-action movies, because every movie is a miracle. And The Emperor's New Groove is probably one of the bigger miracles that has come out of the miracle of movie-making. And the reason for this, and it's a long story, but here we essentially have three movies in one we have the original movie that was never made the movie we got and the documentary that disney does not want you to see and i'm going to be telling you about all three of those things and we have a lot to go through so here's the trailer for the emperor's new groove
0: long ago In a faraway land, there was a prosperous kingdom ruled by a young emperor. Oh,
1: yeah! Boom, baby!
0: He had a serious attitude. You threw off my groove. I'm sorry, but you've thrown off the emperor's groove. Sorry. An evil advisor. By the way, you're fired. I'll take over and rule the empire. And one major problem. I'll just poison him with this.
1: (laughs) Hey, Kronk, can you top me off, pal? Be a friend? <laughs> a llama? He's supposed to be dead!
0: Yeah, weird. Take him out of town and finish the job. Now, his only hope is a humble peasant. Demon llama! Demon llama? Where? Uh, uh, you kidnapped me! Why would I kidnap a llama? You're the criminal mastermind, not me.
1: What? Tell me Cusco's
0: dead. Well, he's not as dead as we would've hoped.
1: oh
0: I risk my life for a selfish brat like you.
1: Now I feel really bad. Bad llama.
0: This holiday season, Ooh. the Emperor's got a new look. A new partner. We're going to have to work together to get out of this. You know, it's a good thing you're not a big, fat guy, or this would be really difficult. And a brand new groove. Disney Pictures presents <laughs> The Emperor's New Groove. Uh oh. Don't tell me. We're about to go over a huge waterfall. Yep. Sharp rocks at the bottom? Most likely. Bring it on. Booyah! December 2000 in Theaters Everywhere.
1: Cusco, the spoiled, narcissistic ruler of an ancient South American empire, doesn't care about his people. And he makes that clear after he decides to build a water park on the site of a village because it gets the best sun. After firing his devious advisor Isma, she accidentally transforms him into a llama after a botched attempt at killing him. After accidentally escaping the palace, Cusco turns to Pacha, a local farmer, who agrees to help him return home. And in hanging out with Pacha, Cusco slowly starts to regain his humanity. Let's run through the cast of the movie. We have David Spade as Cusco. John Goodman as Pacha, Arthur Kitt as Isma, Patrick Warburton as Kronk, Wendy Malick as Chicha, Kellyanne Kelso as Chaka, Eno Russell-Litz as Tipo, and Tom Jones as the theme song guy. The Emperor's New Groove has a screenplay by David Reynolds, story by Chris Williams and Mark Dindle, based on an original story by Roger Allens and Matthew Jacobs, and was directed by Mark Dindle. Now, I'm very fortunate on this podcast because I've done several episodes on movies from the Disney Renaissance. It's one of my favourite periods of Disney ever because those are the movies that I grew up with. And the Disney Renaissance, if you don't know, that's the period between 1989 to 1999, which is generally seen as the modern classic period of Disney when the studio finally reached its potential and achieved critical and commercial successes after a tumultuous period in the 80s. In the 80s, there was a real fear that Walt Disney's animation division might be closed for good. The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and The Lion King, all previous episodes of this podcast, by the way, cemented Disney Animation as the master of animated movies. The Renaissance revitalised their ailing fortunes and with Beauty and the Beast getting the first Academy Award nomination for Best Picture showed the world that Disney were back and that they had a winning formula basically musicals and adaptations of well-known stories. They were also trying to branch out at this time and tell stories from different cultures, starting with Pocahontas in 1995 and Mulan in 1998. And they also had a tried and tested formula with bringing in musical artists for soundtracks, Elton John for The Lion King and Phil Collins on Tarzan. And both of those are important points going forward. Roger Allers, co-director of The Lion King, in a link to the recent episode of Ferngully, he also worked on Anim Olympics and Tron with Bill Croyer. Bill Croyer would go on to direct Ferngully. But after The Lion King came out in 1994, Alice was ready for his next big directorial project at Disney and was called into the office of Thomas Schumacher, president of Walt Disney Feature Animation from 1999 to 2002, to discuss his next project. Following a story about Native Americans, Pocahontas and feudal China, Mulan, Schumacher explained that Disney wanted another story about an ancient culture and gave him the choice of Inca, Aztec and Mayan culture. Alice chose Inca culture and together with co-writer Matthew Jacobs crafted a story called Kingdom of the Sun. Development on Kingdom of the Sun started in 1994. Kingdom of the Sun was pitched to Michael Eisner who loved it. Alice's critical commercial success on The Lion King after its own troubled production meant that he was given free reign over Kingdom of the Sun in its story and casting and, inspired by the success of the Lion King soundtrack, decided to hit up another big-name musician for, in Allah's own words, quote, an epic picture mixing elements of adventure, comedy, romance and mysticism, unquote. He would also state, quote, in their creation myth of the world, there was a god named Vuracocha who brought light to the world by throwing a rope around a distant star and pulling it to the earth. That image to me was really exciting. The most stunning visual in the film would have been the conclusion where the sun is roped and pulled into this writhing mass of dark images, unquote. And for this epic picture mixing elements of adventure, comedy, romance and mysticism, contacted Sting, who was on board immediately, loved the concept and the premise, had space in his schedule as he wasn't touring, and as part of his deal to join the production, his wife, Trudy Styler, also came on board to document the process of Sting making this music basically disney agreed to this to ensure that sting stayed on the project but i'm going to be coming back to this as well everything was coming together on kingdom of the sun the story was going to be loosely based on prisoner of zender
0: pull the lever cronk wrong lever huh? why do we even have that lever get out of my way Please remain seated and keep your arms and legs in at all times.
1: As well as Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper, about a spoiled emperor called Manco, not Cusco, He meets his peasant doppelganger named Pacha. They swap places with Manco turned into a llama by the evil sorceress, Isma, who wants to summon the god of death to destroy the sun and make her young again. The pauper living as the emperor is found out by Isma, who threatens to tell everyone his secret. And in the meantime, Pacha falls in love with Manco's bride-to-be, Nina, and Manco falls for a llama herder called Mata. And together, Manco and Mata set out to foil Isma's plans. The cast would have been rounded out by David Spade as Manco and Eartha Kitt as Yzma, a role originally envisioned for Barbara Streisand. Lovely little nod to the last episode on South Park, bigger, longer and uncut there. If you know, you know. And they would be the only two main cast members to retain their roles going forward. The rest of the cast would have included Owen Wilson as Llama Herder Pacha, Carla Gugino as Nina, Laura Prepon as Mata, and Harvey Feierstein as Waka, a comedy sidekick in the form of a talking talisman, who starts as an advisor to Manco, but then switches sides to Isma. So the story's a little bit different. Right, so let's go into this version. In 1996, the crew travelled to Machu Picchu to study Inca architecture and artefacts, and originally the plan was for this to be a slightly darker romantic comedy musical, in the veins of The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Pocahontas, it would have a serious side to it, and bear that in mind as we go forward. In fact, the plans for Kingdom of the Sun were, well, they had very few, because reports of conflict between executives and creative teams were rife. As pre-production started in 1994 and continued throughout the releases of Pocahontas in 1995, and then The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1996, it became apparent that the underwhelming box office for both posed potential problem for Kingdom of the Sun. All Disney movies were renowned for going through years of research and production, with various concepts and methods being continuously reviewed and abandoned, frequently following contentious screenings of a film's early versions. Kingdom of the Sun began similarly to other Disney properties, with various ups and downs along the way. But after a few years, at least in the eyes of Disney management, it appeared that the movie was making less progress than usual. Mark Dindle would be brought in early to assist with the storyboarding and became the co-director of Kingdom of the Sun, with Roger Allers as the director. Dindle's job was to be a sounding board for ideas and to collaborate with Allers on the task of directing what was, let's not forget, going to be an epic picture mixing elements of adventure, comedy, romance and mysticism. It became obvious, though, that the movie was confusing. David Reynolds was brought in for dialogue rewrites to try and make this serious story more comedic, But it felt like there was too much going on. There were too many side stories, too many characters. It felt repetitive. Additionally, in 1994, Jeffrey Katzenberg had left Disney and formed DreamWorks, taking some of Disney's top people with him. Coincidentally, they do a very similar movie called The Road to El Dorado. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. It's not uncommon for a studio like Disney to hold multiple internal test screenings, especially when something's not working or they need additional help from story supervisors. Kingdom of the Sun had several such test screenings and it was a disastrous test screening that led to a choice that was unprecedented at the time, partly as a result of the company's surprisingly fragile situation in the late 1990s. Tom Schumacher and Peter Schneider, the heads of the studio, asked everyone at the screening to leave the post-screening meeting except for Mark Dindle and Roger Allers. The feedback that they had was not good. The story wasn't working. There were too many elements in the movie. It was the prince and the pauper, it was also the transformation of somebody into a llama. It was Isma who wanted to raise the dead, snuff out the light, and have a world of darkness. But she also wants eternal youth and beauty, so it's like, okay, but which one does she want? The movie was supposed to be about Inca culture, but where was the culture? So in an unprecedented twist, the creative team was split in half. Roger Allers with one team and Mark Dindle with another. Alice would continue with Kingdom of the Sun to try and turn it into a cohesive movie. Dindal would be tasked with starting again from the ground up. They would be going from colleagues to rivals for all intents and purposes. And Trudy Steiner, she was filming all of it for her documentary. Every awkward meeting, every decision was being documented. And I'm still going to come back to this, so put a pin in it. So now there are two teams working on fixing Kingdom of the Sun and both teams worked flat out for weeks to pitch their idea to fix the movie. The final meeting was called with Tom Schumacher and Peter Schneider as the judges. Roger Allers went first, pitching on changes to make Kingdom of the Sun better, adjusting what was there. And then it was Mark Dindal's turn. A radically different movie in tone. A slapstick comedy. Schumacher and Schneider, they loved it. And after Allers graciously agreed that Dindall's idea was more interesting... He took one for the team, stepped back, and the studio decided to go with this new idea and scrap pretty much everything that came before it, with Roger Allers as director of this new version of Kingdom of the Sun and Mark Dindle as his co-director. But by this point, Roger Allers had spent four years of his life on his version of Kingdom of the Sun. The movie was one-third animated, and despite the decision being made for him to carry on as director, he felt that he couldn't do it, so he stepped down, allowing Mark Dindle full director credit. It's not the first time an original director stepped down or was fired from a Disney project, but this felt a little bit too personal for Roger Allers. So when the studio decided to change tack, the script wasn't working on Kingdom of the Sun and go with Mark Dindall's goofy, buddy road trip comedy, the one thing they didn't do was change the proposed release date. This meant the new team had approximately a year to get the movie completed. And the main reason was a lucrative sponsorship deal with McDonald's for Happy Meal toys, and it came with a big fine if you didn't meet a certain date. That was the downside. The upside was because of the self imposed new deadline, Disney studio executives left the project alone and let the team come up with whatever they wanted to come up with. It was a team with nothing to lose, so every crazy joke just got included. And what worked from Kingdom of the Sun, like the characters of Manko and Isma, stayed, as well as the cast members associated with those characters. When it came to Pacha, instead of a doppelganger, they thought, it was the opposite of the character of Manco. And they came up with a selfless and responsible family man. Owen Wilson no longer fit the bill for that character, but John Goodman would be perfect. And despite the changes of Isma from stern sorceress to exasperated advisor, Eartha Kitt remained incredibly game and would come up with her own crazy interpretations for the character. And then there was Kronk. You didn't think I wouldn't talk about Kronk, right? You thought I'd start off with a soup and a light salad and see how we felt after that. All oh, right, the character, the character of Kronk, the character chosen especially to fill the void of comedy sidekick in an already comedic movie, is my sidekick. That Kronk. Kronk started out as a general guard in the lineup of guards who just so happened to have a six pack and like to talk about his diet and exercise regime that gets him the six pack. With the character half Wackagon, did they really need a new sidekick character? Some people weren't sure and thought it was overkill in a comedy movie to have another comedy character. Dave Reynolds fought for Kronk, writing the dinner party scene to prove what an asset Kronk could be. He was just an everyday guy who liked to cook spinach puffs, could speak squirrel and happens to be Isma's henchman. He didn't set out to be a henchman. It's just his job. And as soon as Patrick Warburton was mooted as the voice, everything just fell into place. Warburton just understood the assignment from day one, improvising Kronk's very own theme song, which Disney lawyers would then make sure he signed away his rights to. Speaking of songs, we've still got Sting on this movie, right? Right? Well, Sting wasn't a happy chappy, let's put it like that, because the movie he signed up to was gone and he started to feel frustrated. His songs didn't fit a slapstick comedy and he wanted out of the movie. He wanted to do what Elton John did for The Lion King. He would end up quitting the production five times and each time be persuaded back. But he was never completely happy. He complained about the new ending where Cusco gets Cuzco topia his water park, due to his conservationist beliefs. He was asked to not only continue but also perform the introductory number Perfect World. Sting would say he felt too old to sing the song and the production would eventually hire the much older Tom Jones to sing it instead. Despite the loss of Sting songs from the finished movie, most of his tracks would remain on the official soundtrack and he would sing My Funny Friend and Me over the end credits and be nominated for multiple awards for Best Original Song for that track. But there was always a sense of sadness that the movie wasn't what he signed up for. And so we've talked a little bit about Kingdom of the Sun and what happened with that when it became The Emperor's New Groove. But there's also the little matter of this truly style of documentary. And as I said, this documentary documented everything. It would be titled The Sweatbox and it would be a documentary Disney would do everything in its power to make disappear. Because within it was the truth about the painful, slow transformation of Kingdom of the Sun to what it would become. But it would also detail the sheer zaniness and joy behind the scenes. Without the constraints of a serious story, the writer's room became fun. There were chair races and conversations about trampoline salesmen and the movie would be meta enough to comment on its lack of sense. Approximately 150 hours' worth of material was shot for The Sweatbox, named after the notorious screening room at Disney. While Disney would succeed in keeping it relatively off-grid, it was leaked online in 2012 and periodically shows up on YouTube and other video sites. Amid Amidi of Cartoon Brew would say about The Sweatbox, The Sweatbox is at turns infuriating, hilarious and enlightening. You'll cringe in sympathy with the Disney artists as you see the gross bureaucratic incompetence they had to endure while working at the studio in the 1990s. The film not only captures the tortured morphing of Kingdom of the Sun into the Emperor's new groove, it also serves as an invaluable historical document about Disney's animation operations in the late 1990s. If any questions remain about why Disney fizzled out creatively and surrendered its feature animation crown to Pixar and DreamWorks, this film will answer them. Unquote. So, yeah, pretty scathing documentary that came from this movie. But there's something else that we need to talk about because before it became The Emperor's New Groove, the title was changed again from Kingdom of the Sun to Kingdom in the Sun. And then finally to The Emperor's New Groove, not to be confused with The Emperor's New Clothes. Not only did the new, lighter, more comedic movie lose its original director and almost lose Sting, there were also other multiple casualties. Due to the production shutdown, it would lose its summer 2000 release date, which would turn out to be a blessing in disguise. It would swap release dates with Dinosaur. Andreas Deja, the animation supervisor known for some of Disney's most well-known villains like Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, Jafar in Aladdin and Scar in The Lion King, had started animating Isma, but declined to return to the production when the tone became more comedic. Isma would instead have animation supervised by Dale Bayer. In total, 400 artists, 300 technicians and other production staff members working at Walt Disney Feature Animation in Burbank, California, Walt Disney Feature Animation in Florida and Walt Disney Feature Animation in Paris would work on the actual animation process in 1999. It would be a gruelling 18-month schedule made even more tense by the race between Disney and DreamWorks because DreamWorks' own Latin American-themed movie, The Road to El Dorado, was also due out in 2000. And there was speculation at the time that allegedly Jeffrey Katzenberg had intentionally copied the format and wanted to beat Disney to release. The Road to El Dorado would come out in March 2000 to mixed reviews and financial disappointment, but like The Emperor's New Groove, has found an enduring legacy of memes on the internet. Speaking of internet memes, do you remember the sad Keanu memes of the 2000s? And it's a perfect segue into the obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. And if you don't know what that is, it's where I link the movie that I'm talking about to the actor Keanu Reeves for no reason other than he literally is the best of men. And when I found this connection between Keanu and this movie, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. It was so perfect. Because Keanu was in the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. He starred in that movie with Roger Bumpass, who stars in The Emperor's New Groove as male villager number one and male villager number eight. And if you don't know who Roger Bumpass is, he plays Squidward in Spongebob Squarepants. So it's really a perfect connection between Keanu and The Emperor's New Groove, if you think about it, in like a six degrees of separation kind of way where there's two degrees of separation. Listen, it's logic. But it's Kronk logic, so it makes perfect sense. I've obviously talked a little bit about the music already and the issues that Sting had with the production and that he wasn't happy when the movie changed tone. But originally, Mark Shaman, he was the composer of the previous episode movie, South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. He was tapped for the score for Kingdom of the Sun. And when it became the Emperor's New Groove, Mark Shaman stepped down and John Debney instead would score the movie with music, as I said, by Sting and also David Hartley. As I mentioned, the album still contains three of Sting's six original songs for Kingdom of the Sun, basically because Sting was bitter at the changes made to the movie. Those tracks were Snuff Out the Lights, The Love Song, One Day Shall Love Me, and The Dance Number, Walk the Llama Llama. Are also all available on YouTube. With "Snuff Out the Light," a particular fan favorite, thanks to Eartha Kitt's incredible vocals. And you'll be forgiven if you think to yourself, "Well, I don't really remember much of the marketing for *The Emperor's New Groove*. I don't really recall seeing llama toys everywhere." To be honest, you'd be absolutely right because the marketing for *The Emperor's New Groove* was slightly more restricted than other Disney animated movies. In fact. Disney would give more of a push to the computer-animated adventure Dinosaur in the summer of 2000, and then later on in the year 2000, there would be a raft of merchandise for 102 Dalmatians, which came out at Thanksgiving that same year. There were character posters that came out for the movie with bizarre slogans like Llama Llama Ding Dong and nuttier than a holiday fruitcake. But mostly Disney stores were full of 102 Dalmatians merchandise rather than anything for The Emperor's New Groove. The deal with McDonald's was really the only place you could get licensed Emperor's New Groove toys, for example. And when it was released on the 15th of December 2000, the same week as What Women Want and Dude, Where's My Car? The Emperor's New Groove would debut underneath both at 4th, with its Walt Disney stablemate 102 Dalmatians at 8th after 5 weeks. Disney spent $250,000 marketing a Spanish-language version to appeal to the Latinx market in California, but the Spanish dubbing and limited Los Angeles screenings were pulled from cinemas after just 19 days, as Latinx viewers would choose the English-language version instead, and only $96,000 was grossed just by the Spanish-language version. In another change to traditional Disney, the Emperor's New Groove was almost completely improvised with no traditional script, Just a series of jokes written down, scenes, setups and pitches, all stored on paper in Disney archives. But the Emperor's New Grooved never actually had a script. Two weeks after its release, while the movie was still in cinemas, a staff member from the archive asked Dave Reynolds for the final script. to put in the archive because all Disney movies have their scripts archived. And obviously, Reynolds was like, well, we don't have a script. We never made one. So he got some interns to bind the archive pages together, submitted it to the archive, as the official script, as though the first and only draft script for The Emperor's New Groove was handed in two weeks after the movie premiered. And you won't be surprised to find out that after scrapping Kingdom of the Sun and reworking it into The Emperor's New Groove, that this cost a little bit of money. The final budget was allegedly $100 million, which was almost unprecedented for an animated movie in 2000. Tarzan had cost $130 million, but it had groundbreaking animation. The Hunchback of Notre Dame had cost the same, but had the Victor Hugo novel behind it. The Emperor's New Groove would go on to make $89.6 million domestically and $80 million internationally. And even though The Emperor's New Groove would go on to make $169.7 million globally, the movie performed much worse than Disney had anticipated. Even the other so-called Disney underperformers like Pocahontas, Hercules and The Hunchback of Notre Dame made more than $250 million at the box office, all over three times their production costs. Not including Fantasia 2000, which was released earlier that year, the previous time Disney had such poor box office performance for a movie was in the 1980s, when the studio wasn't doing very well financially. The Emperor's New Groove did do incredibly well on home video, though. It became the top-selling DVD in 2001, selling 12 million DVDs and 6 million VHS copies, making approximately $125 million just on home video. On its Blu-ray release in 2013, it sold 14,000 units just in its first weekend. And this is a movie that so many people adore and hold very close to their hearts for so many reasons. Critically, it's actually seen critically rather well. 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Basically, it's not one of Disney's great animated classics, But it's a fun and funny movie the whole family will and do enjoy. When it came to awards, it would be nominated for an Academy Award, a Grammy and a Golden Globe for Best Original Song for that Sting song, My Funny Friend and Me. It would also be nominated for 10 Annie Awards, winning three. And while there is no official theatrical sequel to this movie, there was a direct-to-video sequel produced by Disney Toon Studios called Kronk's New Groove in 2005 followed by an animated TV show called The Emperor's New School, with Patrick Warburton, Eartha Kitt and Wendy Malick reprising their roles for the series, which lasted for a couple of seasons. And, phew, because that was a hell of a lot of information to get through. But it's time we have a listen to what people actually think of this movie. And i like to ask on social media, on Patreon, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, what people think of the movie that I'm featuring. And we're going to start with the patrons. And we're going to start with Sonny. And Sonny says, Hello M. happy 2023. I love this movie. I saw it when it came out in theatres as a kid, when Usma thinks she's bested Cusco and turned herself into a beast and is a cat, with her tiny voice. Is that my voice? So hilarious to me and my best friend. Cronk was the real MVP. Great cast of voices in this Disney treasure. And when a patron comments on an episode, I like to give a little plug for their podcast. And Sonny... She has her own podcast. She hosts a podcast with her sister, Brandy. It's called Book of Lies. And it's basically about the liars and the dirty, dirty cheats of the world that you want to avoid. So I'll put some information in the show notes. Please have a listen to Book of Lies. You will love it. We also have a patron comment from Brett who says, What's not to love about this one? It's a wacky concept that's executed so well with the amazing voice performances by Spade, Goodman, Kit and especially Warburton. It started off the 2000s with a bang with quotable lines that are still so prominently used today and a solid message of don't let your ego get the better of you. Be respectful of everyone. And Brett's podcast is called Dissect That Film and it basically does exactly what it says on the tin. They dissect films, the good, the bad, the ugly. They review movies every week. It's Brett, Dan and Angela on that podcast. I'll put information in the show notes for Dissect That Film. The next patron comment is from perennial commenter Andy, and he says, It's genuinely impossible to imagine this movie being what its original concept intended. A wonderfully paced, frantic comedy jaunt through the life of Cusco and its Lois. is highlighted by a voice cast that came to play. Eartha Kidd and Patrick Warburton give us some of the best moments in Disney history, and some lines have found their way to Simpsons level in my working them into regular conversation. Top three Disney animated for me, a movie that I love more and more with each viewing. And you should know by now, Andy hosts the amazing podcast that is Geek Salad. And if they haven't done a retro review on The Emperor's New Groove, I would be very, very surprised. So Geek Salad, they basically cover literally anything and everything that you and I think is geeky. So if you're a geek, like I'm a geek, and like we're all geeks really, then you should listen to Geek Salad. I will put information in the show notes for Geek Salad. And the final patron comment comes from Pete, who says, The only animated movie in my top 10 films of all time. Partly because of the memories I have associated with my mother and I watching together over and over as a teenager. And partly because of the 100% perfect voice cast. But mostly because The Emperor's New Groove is endlessly funny, not an ounce of fat to be trimmed, dripping with its own style, set in a unique time and culture and can be quoted until the end of time. It's just so wholesome and fun and the world needs more of both. And I'm going to be also putting some information in the show notes for Pete's podcast. It is Middle Class Film Class and it is a weekly movie news and reviews podcast hosted by Pete and also Joseph and Tyler. It's a fantastic podcast and you should be listening to it. I'll put some info in the show notes for Middle Class Film Class. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with Pod, who said, It's an incredibly meta Disney movie that features Tom Jones. I see no reason not to love it. I think everybody has come together and realised that it's incredibly underrated, which by definition I think means it is no longer underrated, but adored like it should be. At Podcast TENP said, I'm a massive fan, have my own podcast dedicated to it, and I'm making a fan-made documentary about it. At Keenan Talks Films said, Arguably the most underrated Disney animated feature. At a glance, the humour looks like a product of its time, but it is actually timeless and hits you on every watch. At Clovol6 said, It's the movie that defied my childhood. Lost count of how many times I've seen it. And at 26, I still love it as much as I did as a kid. No regrets. Also, the first movie I saw a sequel to and thought this is as good as the first one, which is still true. At Pod said, Alex and at Betpo had a great conversation about it in our latest episode talking about our favourite movies from each Disney era. It's an underappreciated Disney classic. At Pittsburgh Nerd said, Underrated movie. It's a fun movie that people of all ages can enjoy. One of the few Disney movies I like. At BFE underscore Georgia said, Top three Disney film. Absolutely adore the far before its time, postmodern nature of this delightfully funny and silly and incredibly quotable film. At Bat Katie Reese said, A Disney movie that was not appreciated when first released. I think for most it takes a bit to really pick up on just how funny it is. First watch, oh that was funny, second, third, 800th time, you pick up on all the little things that make you laugh harder and harder. At Lou Ramrod said, A very underrated Disney movie with its thumb on very good writing and comedy, even after the crazy rewrites and development hell it went through. Also, design and art-wise, very not Disney-like, which bleeds originality that Disney sometimes desperately needs. At Podcast Pro Tips said, Genuinely in my top five movies of all time. It's near-perfect and endlessly rewatchable. At Chat Tsunami Pod said, I've always thought it was underrated. Used to love this film growing up, but I know a lot of people didn't seem to find it as strong as some of the other Disney films. At Supercam 64 said, Emperor's New Groove is one of my personal favourite Disney movies of all time. I quoted pretty much all the time with my wife, and it was unlike any other Disney movie at the time as far as comedy. The self-awareness is what really sells the movie, in my opinion. At and why not pod said, went to the cinema to watch it and really enjoyed it, but despite owning it on DVD and Blu-ray, I haven't actually gone back and watched it again since first buying the DVD 20-ish years ago. Might have to rectify that. At it was a shit show said, one of the best and most underrated Disney movies, a childhood favourite and still one of the most quoted in our house. It's surprising that it came together so well considering the crazy behind the scenes stories. At Rand E said The TV show was way better than the movie At Andy Lee Henry said One of my favourite movies of all time I use the handle Llama Face Cronk on PlayStation or if I need to input a nickname when bowling Looking forward to this Moving over to Instagram we have At Dave underscore J underscore BAMP who said Pull the lever Cronk! Wrong lever! Other as Isma makes the film for me, she is absolutely brilliant and solidifies Isma as a great Disney villain in an otherwise lackluster film. At TSFTM Pod said, I love it, my personal favourite Disney movie. I even have the extract of Lama Vile tattooed on me. Parentheses, Dietrich wrote this. No comments over on Facebook, which is disappointing but actually not surprising. But overall, some wonderful comments for this movie. And clearly, this is a movie that is so beloved by so many people who grew up at this period of time. The millennial generation loves this movie. And I think it just stands out because it is so different. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. But it's a Disney animated movie. It's incredible. Huge thank you to everyone for their comments on The Emperor's New Groove. To the patrons and to Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to have your comments read out in episodes, then you can go to social media on a Friday and you can comment on the thoughts posts that go up on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and wherever else there is social media. I'm pretty much everywhere. At Verbal Diorama is where you need to go. So give us a follow and post a comment and I will read it out. We often say on Verbal Diorama that any movie made is a miracle. And this movie in particular seems to surpass being a miracle. Because the fact that this is even coherent is a miracle. This movie should have been, absolute mess. it should be unreleasable. And that the team here took what they had and made something that so many people adore. It's not just a miracle, it's like a mega miracle, even if that's possible. While the story behind Kingdom of the Sun isn't a hidden fact, the sheer depths of issues and problems behind the scenes cannot be understated. The Sweatbox is a rare look into Disney's culture and back office that we rarely see on carefully cultivated and managed making of documentaries that have to go through legal and PR to ensure the company is shown in a positive light. The Sweatbox has none of that. And while Disney own it and control it, it's clear why they'd want it hidden. But you don't hide anything in the internet era though, and the truth is out there. And similar to how The Road to El Dorado benefited from internet culture and memes, The Emperor's New Groove did as well, and actually even more so. Disney's Broadway-style epics like Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid gave way to strongly comedic tone of films like Shrek and Ice Age in the early 2000s. And those movies changed the course of animation for the next several years. So really, The Emperor's New Groove actually predicted that tonal shift. And these Disney Broadway-style epics of the 90s were still funny. They still had comedic moments and characters. But none felt so deeply rooted in that Looney Tunes-esque slapstick than The Emperor's New Groove. It didn't have a strapping hero or a damsel in distress. There was no princess to market. She'd been removed. Cusco isn't the hero that we all admire and Isma isn't the villain that we all boo. And maybe this is why it never found an audience on its initial release. But it did on VHS and DVD. And it's now so revered. Almost everyone I spoke to when I said this was next on the podcast said, I love this movie, and it's so underrated. This movie feels different because it is different. It's made of a different cloth to other Disney movies. No pun intended to the Emperor and his new clones in that comment. And it's quite sad, really, that this is often, in conjunction with Fantasia 2000 and Dinosaur, the other Disney animated movies that came out in 2000, blamed for the end of the Disney Renaissance, the year that Disney's dream ended and the rot started to set in. Going forward, Disney Animation would release Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Lilo and Stitch, Treasure Planet, that's episode 36, and so full of ambition, that movie. And then goes into the period when Disney truly started to feel lost. Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little and Meet the Robinsons. Walt Disney Animation Studios wouldn't start to feel fresh again till Bolt in 2008 and wouldn't go back to its tried and tested formula again till The Princess and the Frog in 2009. I wouldn't scrap it and start it all again till Tangled in 2010. But that's a story for a few episodes' time. Hint, hint. We're never going to know what Kingdom of the Sun would have been like, despite calls to, and I'm not kidding, hashtag cut on Twitter. 1,322 people have signed a petition on Change.org to release the Kingdom of the Sun workprint. When it came time to repair Kingdom of the Sun, Mark Dindle knew what he was doing. And despite the reaction on release, we have to suggest that maybe the modifications made were for the better. After the lackluster response to Warner Brothers' attempt, Quest to Camelot, as well as Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame, audiences were growing weary of the huge Disney Broadway style musical. It was time to try something else, so they tried the wackiest thing they could. The Emperor's New Groove breaks the rules by jam packing each scene with enjoyable physical humour, oddball anachronism, Vibrant character design and outstanding voice acting from the main actors. Most of whom are white, but this is a 2000s Disney movie, so of course they are. And really, I think has been said by quite a few people in the comments, Patrick Warburton and Eartha Kitt, they shine the brightest in this movie. They are an incredible double act. And if anyone asks how Disney managed to make The Emperor's New Groove, you could just refer to to this episode. Or you could simply say,
0: Well, you got me. By all accounts, it doesn't make sense.
1: Thank you for listening. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on The Emperor's New Groove. And if you do want to get involved and you want to help this podcast grow, congratulations, you already are because you listened to this episode and I'm so grateful that you did. But if you do want to help further, you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You could tell a friend or family member about this episode. Or you could go on social media. You can like or retweet posts. You can post about Verbal Diorama. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, Mastodon, Hive, Post, at VerbalDiorama. And if you like this episode on The Emperor's New Groove, you might also like the following episodes. Now, I very rarely recommend this episode because it's the first episode that I ever did. And it was on a movie called Titan AE. Titan AE is a special movie. Not just because it's technically one of the biggest box office flops of all time. It also basically sunk an entire studio. It came out the same year, the year 2000, as this movie. And Titan AE does not deserve the reputation that it has. It's a decent, fun movie. There's a lot of innovation going on. To be honest, while the episode, because it was my first one, is probably not all that brilliant because it was my first episode, the movie is well worth your time. So while it's not tonally similar to this movie at all, The fact it came out in the same year and it was doing a very innovative thing is worth you checking out the movie Titan AE. Also, I'm going to recommend episode 36, Treasure Planet. I did mention Treasure Planet just now. Treasure Planet came out a couple of years after this movie. And Treasure Planet was Disney trying to innovate, trying to do something different. It is a stunningly beautiful movie. It's the same directors as The Little Mermaid. It's obviously based on Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, so it's got pedigree. But generally, it's not seen as most people's favourite Disney movie, but there's a lot to love in Treasure Planet. So I wanted to recommend that movie as well, especially if you've got Disney Plus, because if you have, you can actually watch Titan AE on Disney Plus. By the way, you can also watch The Emperor's New Groove on Disney Plus, and you can also watch Treasure Planet on Disney Plus. So if you've got an afternoon spare, you've got a Disney Plus subscription. Watch all of those movies because Treasure Planet deserves it and Titan A.E. deserves it too. Obviously, give me feedback. Let me know what you think of my recommendations. Next episode, we're doing something very different. Again, the very definition of animation is not just for children. You thought I might have peaked with South Park when it came to animation not for children. But this movie is absolutely not for children and it's not something children would probably want to watch. It is Satoshi Kon's Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is pretty much a landmark, genre-defining, animated, psychological thriller. I was blown away the first time I saw Perfect Blue. And I'm so excited to be talking about that movie. It is very much a movie that blurs the lines between fantasy and reality as well. And it is a genuine psychological thriller. It's actually quite frightening in some parts. Mostly. Definitely proving that animation is not just for children. Join me next week as I talk about Perfect Blue. And as I said, if you're listening to this episode, you are supporting this podcast. But if you do want to support this podcast financially, you can pop over to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. You can have a look at the tiers that are available and you can sign up to support this podcast financially. And you can join the amazing patrons. They are Simon E, Charday, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern. Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Toilet, Stu, and Brett. Oh, right. The patrons. The patrons for Verbal Diorama. The patrons chosen especially to support Verbal Diorama. Verbal Diorama's patrons. I have a merch stories, It's VerbalDiorama.com slash merch if you're interested. You can also get in touch with me. You can say hi. You can give me feedback or suggestions. VerbalDiorama at gmail.com. You can also pop over to my website. It's VerbalDiorama.com. And you can also find me at FilmStories.co.uk. You can find me in Film Stories magazine. You can find my articles on Film Stories online. And finally...
0: Is something burning? (laughs) My spinach pus. Saved them. That's great. great. (laughs) Good job. Very good job. Watch it. They're still hot. Bye.